Welcome to our Thought Leaders Talk Business Podcast, where we tap into the minds of business consultants and professionals to gain ideas and strategies to help you gain a competitive advantage. I am your host, Debbie Fleeman. Have you ever walked away from a networking group knowing you didn't make the connections you had hoped for? Do you ever wonder if people know or even care what you can do for them? Have you ever wished you knew what to say in those virtual networking events? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are in the right place. Our guest shows executives and entrepreneurs how to make meaningful connections at every networking event, real or virtual. And it's not by droning on about their business and their background and their bio. Helping us develop a new take on the old elevator speech, I'm happy to welcome communications consultant, speaker, and crossword lover, Katherine Johns. Thank you, Debbie. You know, crossword lover, the other day I put in my newsletter something about palavering, and I had a bunch of people mention that on LinkedIn. A couple people said, I got to love anything that uses the word palavering. And then somebody else said, I never heard of palavering. I had to look it up. Words fascinate me. And that jumps out at me because the words we use to talk about ourselves are so important. And I think a lot of us don't do that as well as we could. So that's why I developed my famous, all right, not quite famous, but increasingly well-known 5P formula for magnetic introductions. So if it's cool with you, I'm going to tell you the five Ps and then we can talk a little bit about each one and have some examples of how it works. Is palavering one of those Ps? It is not. Okay. Palavering does not belong in my magnetic introduction. That's the whole point. I want to talk about myself without a bunch of verbiage that doesn't go anywhere. And I think the problem with what most people do when we show up at a networking event or, or maybe sometimes when we post on social media, we give people a lot of information they don't need because they're not interested enough yet about us and our background and what we've done and how wonderful we are. And there's a certain amount of pressure in some of those settings to, to do that. You know, you're expected to put your best foot forward and tell people why they should hire you, but they don't care yet. So my goal is get them interested first and then give them the reasons that they should pick me if they're looking for the kind of service I offer. So what typically goes on in networking events is somebody says something like, I'm Katherine Johns and I'm a speaker and a coach. I've been in business for 17 years and I'm certified and I have a seven-step program and you're already half asleep, right? Because you're not interested, you don't care and you don't know why you should care. So I suggest instead of starting with myself and who I am and what I do, that we each start with the people we serve. So right away, that makes it a whole different approach. In fact, when I, when I do programs about this, I often have people take out their phone and take a selfie. And almost everybody has a phone with them and everybody's taken selfies. And, and sometimes they'll post them on social media, which is great promotion for an event. So that works out well. Then I say... Now turn your lens around, take a picture of me. 
I hate this part. It's taken one for the team because, you know, great face for radio. If there's anybody who doesn't like their picture taken, it's me. But I do that to make the point that it's not a selfie. When you introduce yourself, you have to turn the lens around. You have to put the focus on the people you serve, not on yourself. So the 5P formula starts with the people. And depending on the kind of work you do, that might be homeowners, or it might be independent professionals, or it might be corporate executives on the way up. You know who you serve or who you serve best, and you should start out talking about them. And then from there, P number two would be the pickle therein. So what's the problem that these people have, or what's the hang-up that they're facing, or what's the challenge? I get pushback about this, that it's too negative. I'm pretty convinced that if you want people to pay attention to what you have to say, you really do need to start with what's their current situation and how would it be different if they only knew more about you. So it's the people and then the pickle they're in and then the promised land. So what would it look like for them if they didn't have that pickle? If they solved that problem, if they weren't in that situation, what would that be like? And you want to paint a pretty vivid picture of that. I'll give you an example in a minute. In fact, maybe I'll do an example of this far. Is that, would that be helpful? That would be wonderful. Please do. All right. So a lot of us are moving our work onto virtual platforms and Man, even people who are really good speakers, live and in person, are finding it challenging. You know how you find yourself staring at a screen and you're not really sure if you're connecting with those people and goodness knows they can't give you feedback. You might not even see their faces. They're not talking. It's just you talking to the screen, feeling uncomfortable feeling nervous and maybe your palms get sweaty and you might even start to feel red in the face because it's not fun. But what if you could sit down at your laptop or your tablet and talk to an invisible audience as real and natural as if they were right there in the room, as if you were having coffee together? That would be the promised land, right? Does that make sense? The people are all of us who are working virtually. The pickle is, eh, virtual platforms, the promised land is you can do that naturally and easily and comfortably. So after we have established the pickle and the promised land, I'm miserable doing these virtual events, but wait, you could be really comfortable and you could actually attract clients in a virtual networking experience. That's the promised land. The path, of course, leads straight to me. So this is where we finally get to talk about ourselves. And when I work with clients on this, a lot of times it's hard for them to hold back. Because what are we in the habit of? We stand up at these events and say, I'm Catherine Johns. I'm a speaker and a coach. You know, we just are in, it's like we're, we're, we have fallen into a pattern of beginning with my name, my title, and some more yak, yak, yak about me. And it can be really challenging for people to flip it around. So after you've mentioned who are the people you serve, what is the pickle they're in, what would the promised land look like for them, then you get to talk about your path. So in my case, that would be a virtual workshop about virtual presenting. And 
where I have an edge over a lot of people and what I can show you is what I learned in years of virtual presenting before we had a name for it. Okay, it had a name, it was radio. But I spent literally years talking to audiences of people I couldn't see, had never met, talking not into a screen, but into a microphone or staring at a phone button and having a conversation. And I'll tell you something, Deb, I made connections with those people, some so strong that, well, here's a great story. We got, this past summer, we got a new um, patio door, uh, French doors for the deck. And the guy from Pella showed up to come talk to me about buying a door from them. The first words out of his mouth were, you're that Catherine Johns, aren't you? (laughs) Right? He's here to talk about doors. And all he wants to talk about is he used to listen to me at WLS when I did the morning show with Fred Winston. Do you have any idea how long ago that was? That's beautiful. years. And in his mind, we have a relationship. We have a connection. I mean, I'm not making him out to be a psycho. I don't mean like that. But to have that kind of impact that you create a connection with people that lasts long after the actual interaction is over. I did my last radio show 20 years ago. Can you imagine? It's frightening to me that it's been that long. But the point is, to be still remembered, you know that there was a connection there. That's a big compliment. It is a big compliment. But it also what it also says is that it is possible in a virtual world to connect with people in such a way that they pay attention to what you say, they remember you, and they even want to know more about you. And isn't that what we're all trying to do when we get on virtual platforms for our Chamber of Commerce meeting or a professional association meeting or whatever other gathering it might be? And and so having done that a lot, <laughs> I have a way to teach it to other people. So that's that's the path. And then the last P is a little bit of proof. And it doesn't mean that when we introduce ourselves, we have to give somebody a full case study, but just a sentence or two that says, hey, I've done this before, and you can trust that I could do it for you too. So my radio story might be the proof, or maybe I would say, uh, just last week, I wrapped up with a client who is a pretty good speaker, but this virtual thing had him really hung up. He had a big presentation coming up and he wanted to do well. He wants it to attract clients. And so we did some coaching sessions and he called me the other day and said it was a huge success. So there's my my case study, if you will, that says, here's why it works. My fifth P used to be pithy. I changed it to proof because I actually think for most people that's more important. And, you know, odd numbers are better than even numbers if you want people to remember things. So I just couldn't change it to six Ps. But pithy is important for a lot of networking events. You have a time limit. I know there's a chamber of commerce in the North Suburbs, Northbrook Chamber. They do an event where people have 11 seconds to introduce themselves. That would be really challenging. You'd, have, you'd be hard-pressed to do five Ps in 11 seconds. But in 30, that's doable. Or a minute. And that's more typical in most of those groups, like BNI groups or professional associations. They usually give you 45 seconds to a minute 
before they move on to the next person. And so if you practice a little bit, you can do five Ps in that short a time. Catherine, people are usually very fearful of walking into a networking situation, even though they're very comfortable with who they are, what they have to offer, what they've been able to achieve, their accomplishments. They can talk and talk and talk. How do we prepare that elevator type speech that includes your five P's that is also responding to those vibes that we're feeling from that individual we want to attract? The first thing is, I don't ever call it an elevator speech, except in a tongue-in-cheek way about a new take on the old elevator speech, because nobody wants to hear a speech, right, in an elevator or at a networking event. Nobody is sitting there saying, please, give me a speech. We're not interested in a speech. And so I think we should set that whole idea aside. The pressure is off. And if you focus on the other people instead of yourself, that takes off more pressure. Why do I feel nervous? Because eyes are on me and I have to say the perfect thing. And what if I screw it up? And oh my goodness, you know, I can work myself into a dither about that. But if I instead take the attention off of me, what I say, what I should say, how I feel, and put it on my audience. Who are these people? What are they interested in? How could I serve them? It, that takes the pressure off of me, and I feel much immediately, much less self-conscious. And then another piece of it would be to use conversational language. And, and that's why I don't like to think about it as a speech, and I don't encourage people to write it out or to try to say exactly the right thing every time. That's why there's five Ps. There's not a script. But if you keep in mind, I'm talking about people. Who are they? Independent professionals. I'm talking about a pickle they have. They're looking for clients, and they probably don't have enough in the current climate. What would the promised land look like? Their book of business is full. What's my path to get them there? Well, I can help them communicate their value much more effectively on the virtual platforms that everybody is using now so that they can really explain what they do in a way that magnetically attracts other people and makes them want to know more. And, oh, proof? I've been doing this corporate work. It's so interesting for a company that's putting on its first virtual conference. They've done lots and lots of in-person meetings, but now people who used to talk in a conference room have to stand in front of a TV camera. And their event was a huge success. And they actually said it was at least partly because they got really good coaching about how to present themselves that way. Catherine, what is your suggestion for folks who walk into a room? It's a networking event. There are 50 people in the room. Okay. And they want to meet as many as they possibly can, as comfortably as they possibly can, in order to get their name out there, to create a presence, to get some exposure for what they have to offer. What should they do when they walk in that room? That's a good question because I think very often we make it a numbers game. I want to meet as many people as I can. And actually, I'm better off meeting a few people who really need my help than a whole bunch of people who don't care about me. 
And of course, it's not always easy to guess who might need my help. In my case, I might walk into a room and look for the people who are standing alone looking uncomfortable and go introduce myself to them. Because A, it's a nice thing to do. But B, those are people who likely are not comfortable networking. And since that's one of the things I do coaching about, they are potentially people who would be interested in my work. The person who is holding forth in a group of six people and going on and on and on probably doesn't need me or want me because the first thing I would tell them is, hey, what if you tried listening instead? Well, speaking of listening, what is a good way to engage people who you're introducing yourself to in conversation so that you have an opportunity to listen to what they have to say which will then prompt you to give them that promised land, understand their pickle, give them a little information and so forth and show them proof. One of the things that occurs to me about networking events, and I don't know, it might be different in virtual kinds of events. I've been to some, but most of them are, are groups that I'm, I'm a part of in an ongoing way. So it's, I'm not meeting a lot of strangers in Zoom meetings, but for sure when we're in the room with people, you know, it it is uncomfortable for a lot of people. And if I can open the door and make it more comfortable for people, that's a great thing because it's not uncomfortable for me. It's really easy for me to walk up to strangers and start a conversation. That's just, you know, the way I'm built. I like to ask people questions about themselves and, you know, they're open-ended questions rather than yes, no questions. And if people start talking about that, then I can figure out a follow-up question and I can weave things around so that my work resonates for them. Or I quickly determine this is not somebody who's ever going to be my client. They don't need what I offer and it's been delightful meeting them and I need to move along. So there's that too, to gracefully end a conversation because you know we can see we, we could play tennis together. But we're probably not going to be doing business together. If I ask enough questions, I can understand what I might offer somebody that would be useful for them. You mentioned something that we've all been involved in, how to gracefully exit from a conversation without being rude. If we find out early in the conversation that this is going to go absolutely nowhere for us or for that individual What is a good way to walk away from them and leave them potentially standing alone with a Coca-Cola in their hand? (laughs) If it's a group that I'm a member of or that I'm familiar with, it may well be that I'm listening to you talk about your work and thinking, well, you know, this is not something that I need, but I know this other person. And so very often connecting people with others, and especially this is true for somebody who is new to a group or just seems ill at ease, that if you can introduce them to somebody else, then you're free to move on to something else. And I think it's kosher at networking events, understanding that we're all here to meet people. And it's probably not to anybody's benefit to spend the whole time talking to one person to say, it's been so nice meeting you. I'm going to go introduce myself to somebody else, or I'm going to meet some other people, or I'm looking forward to meeting that person. Do you happen to know anybody over there? I mean, ask them for an introduction. That's a great idea. 
What are your tips, tools, and techniques for engaging individuals in a virtual presentation? Whoa, we could have a whole conversation about that. The biggest thing, and if we had video, I would be able to demonstrate it, but the biggest thing, I think, is eye contact. And it hangs people up because we're used to trying to make eye contact with actual people, not with people who are off in cyberspace somewhere. So when we do virtual work, the way to make eye contact is to look through the camera. And I use that language advisedly. What I hear from people a lot, Debbie, is I don't like looking at a screen or I don't like talking to the computer or talking to the camera. And so I suggest that people reframe that. It's not talking to the camera. It's talking through the camera at your ideal client or your target or whatever language you use for that right on the other side. And you actually imagine that they're right there. So you're talking through the device, not at it. And a really good analogy is a telephone. If you listen to this podcast and you want to call a friend and say, you got to listen to Debbie Fleeman's podcast. It's fabulous. You don't think about yourself calling your phone. You call your friend. The phone is just a vehicle to get your voice to their ears and their voice to yours. The camera's like that. So you look through it at your person. So you look at the camera versus looking at the screen and their image on the screen. Yes, because if I look at the image on the screen, that, that feels good to me because I want to make contact with people too. And if I'm looking at their image on the screen, it feels like eye contact for me. But what they see is me looking off to the floor and down to the right. Right. So that doesn't look like eye contact to them at all. This really requires, you know, putting myself in the other person's position. And what looks like eye contact for them is going to be me looking through the camera. And then they see that as looking straight at them. Catherine, something that does instill a lot of fear in people is the idea that we only have a few seconds to make a first impression. When I think of a first impression, I think of what I look like, what I have on, what comes out of my mouth, how I introduce myself, how I walk up to a person, so many things to think about. What should we focus on in order to make the best possible impression? Well, you can't go wrong focusing on the other person. And this is a perfect place to do it because you're right. We do have seconds to make an impression on people. But assuming that I have combed my hair before the meeting and and I've put on my lipstick and I know how to carry myself, and this is one of the things I teach, especially in groups of women, how to come across as a confident, charismatic person. So assuming I've done that work in advance, then in a way, I have to let the chips fall. I mean, the truth is, some people will meet me and think, oh my God, she is wonderful. And some people will meet me and say, yikes, I don't want to know her any better. I mean, that's just the reality. We're, we're not everybody's cup of tea, any of us. So I have to kind of be comfortable in my own skin. But then once I've done that, my mission when I meet you is to be entirely focused on you. And there are two benefits to that. 
you will like it, first of all, and your impression of me is way more likely to be positive if you sense that I'm interested in you. And it takes the pressure off. Because if I keep my attention and my focus and my interest on you, I'm not thinking about, oh my God, I wonder if my hair looks okay. What are things she thinking about me? Do I have anything stuck in my teeth? You could get a whole soundtrack going in your head of potential things that could be going wrong. And the more you focus on you, the more that stuff happens. You know, when I work with people who are nervous about speaking, that's just a huge piece of it that they get so preoccupied with their own physical and emotional sensation that it spirals out of control. And if you can take that attention off of you and put it on the other person, ah, you can breathe and relax and, and have an actual interesting conversation. Catherine, after we've introduced ourselves to an individual, what are some questions we can ask in order to encourage that individual to, to talk to us? You know, the classic is, what do you do? Which, because it's asked all the time, is not that interesting. Although, people kind of like to talk about their work. So, I might very well say, hey, tell me about your work. Or, give me an example of a customer you've worked with recently that really intrigued you. Or, tell me about a project you've worked on. Or, some, something along those lines that... I may not know enough to get really specific about their business, but more specific than just, what do you do? So I don't get, you know, I'm a vice president at the bank because that's not taking us anywhere. Some people like to ask questions about current events. It can be kind of loaded in the current climate. I'm not sure. I want to I go to networking events to escape from current events and the news, not to bring it with me. But talking about Work from home versus working in the office is kind of a universal that people have opinions about. Asking people for a suggestion or a tip based on the work they do. People just like to talk about their work. And if you give them an opening to do that, you can learn something, which is great, and also opens a relationship with them. There is a fine line, I feel, with the small talk, the introduction, and then getting into more of the nitty gritty where we might want to determine if they could potentially be, one, a client for us directly, or two, a referral source for us. Sure. It can be really awkward. You're right. Because when I think now about going to networking events, I can hardly wait till, till, till real life events start happening again. But when we went to things all the time, none of us really have time to go just for socializing, right? We need to have a business motivation or a business purpose in mind. And so, yes, we want to turn the conversation in that direction. I think for me, there's a big blur in personal and professional. And I think it is maybe about the questions that we ask and getting a sense of how people are looking for a common experience, something that the, the person and I have in common that might bridge that gap for us. I don't want to be tacky. I don't want to immediately start selling something. I also think some of it is a misapprehension about networking events. I did this speaking at a Chamber of Commerce meeting. I asked people how many of us came here today. And, you know, really in our heart of hearts, if we're really honest, 
we're hoping to sell something. Almost everybody in the room raised their hand. So my next question was, how many of us came here today and really in our heart of hearts, we really want to buy something today? That would be nobody. So if we're all selling and nobody's buying, you can see that that's a mismatch. And, and I think the answer is don't go to networking meetings thinking that you're going to make a sale or close a deal. You go to open a relationship, not close a sale. And it's time consuming. Networking as a business development strategy doesn't happen in one meeting or even several as a role. It, it really is about opening relationships, planting seeds, whatever kind of analogy you might want to use or metaphor you want, might want to use, but it doesn't generate instant results typically. The nice feature, Catherine, of an in-person networking environment is that we can see, we can observe the person talking with others. We get a feel for who we might be dealing with even before we approach him or her. And once we feel that there is an opportunity for a relationship, we can exchange a business card. That business card then enables us to follow up with a nice little note or shoot off an email, say thank you, send a reminder, maybe send some literature, workshops, whatever we want to Put in front of that person. Today, we're seeing more and more virtual networking events. Mm-hmm. What suggestions do you have for leaving something with them or reaching back out to them? What do we do? You know, you raised such an interesting question. I wonder if business cards will come back. I haven't used a business card in months. And it just makes me wonder if we'll get back in the habit of carrying them around and handing them to somebody at some point. I tend to use LinkedIn as a way to follow up with people because I know their name and it's on the screen. If I didn't know them, I can see it and I can make myself a note. And then if I don't have, which I probably don't, an email address, I can find them on LinkedIn and send a connection request there with a note. I never send connection requests, just click on send and it goes. But with a note, we were both at this meeting on Tuesday morning. I was so interested in what you had to say. I'd love to follow you. Let's link. It can be a substitute. Now, I know not everybody uses social media. Not everybody likes social media. But for me, that's been the best way to follow up with people in the absence of the contact information that they would have given me if they'd handed me a business card. Speaking of LinkedIn, oftentimes I will have individuals, and I know that I'm not alone in this, have individuals connect with me and I'll look at their company and what they have to offer. And as soon as I connect with them, almost immediately they're selling me on something that I have absolutely no interest in and I don't need. In order to avoid that from happening, What is your recommendation for connecting with people on LinkedIn and then presenting them with what you have to offer? This is where we can go back to the five Ps because that whole formula works on social media just as well as it does in live networking events. We start with the notion that people are not interested in us until we give them a reason to be interested. 
personally, I would not send a connection request and follow it up with, here's why you should hire me. I think it's in bad taste. And yes, I get those all the time too. And I don't know anybody who likes them, which makes me wonder how anybody can still be sending them. I mean, don't we all know that that's not the right way to do this? I don't get it. Social selling, I guess for lack of a better word, is a time-consuming process. And so I might link with you. I might invite you to comment on things that I post. I might comment on your posts. So I want to develop some kind of connection with you before I ever think about mentioning what I can offer you. And if I've followed you for a while, then I know something about that you might be a client for me or you might know people who are a client for me. So as a speaker, I have followed up with LinkedIn connections and asked about organizations they belong to that might hire speakers. I'm not looking for their business, but I'm asking them for an introduction or information that would be helpful for me. But I don't do that immediately. I do that after I have a sense of what kind of organizations they belong to and how interested they are and what kind of issues appeal to them. And that takes time. It takes time and it takes patience. And it's key in developing a relationship that isn't fearful because there's nothing worse than seeing a call come in knowing that they're going to try to sell you something. You know, I had a, I had a coach once who said the only reason people are uncomfortable with sales calls is that they're uncomfortable making sales calls. So her theory was if it makes you cringe when somebody flies right into sales mode and tries to jam their product down your throat, it's because you're not comfortable selling. And there might be something to that. I'm not really comfortable selling. And and it's been an issue for me that I've worked on as I've developed my own business. So Part of the reason I cringe at those really direct sales messages is that agita that I have about sales. I think there is that. And I also think it's just tacky to pounce on people right away. I like to say social networking, it's a network, not a megaphone. So it's not just about me, me, me. And I use a similar approach to posts. I post about every weekday on LinkedIn. Usually it's something around business communication of some sort. And I use a similar formula. I don't always include all the five Ps, but you could look at my posts and one after another would start with something about you. It wouldn't start off with, I'm so excited to tell you, I'm, 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 I'm. I don't assume you care unless I put it right out in front. What would be the value to you of reading further in this post? And I do that by making it about you. That's a great idea. You mentioned earlier, Catherine, that you speak in front of groups, you consult, you coach. Can you tell us what exactly do you do that adds value to your audience? I hope most of it adds value for my audience. It's all about business communication. I did one program around bridging the gap, having challenging conversations when people are at odds. But in general, business communication, how to be better at it, which means attracting more clients, getting along better with colleagues, being more of a leader, managing meetings well. There are a lot of different applications. Broadly, my work is about how do you show up in front of people, deliver a message that resonates, 
and, and create relationships that help you meet your business goals. If someone wants to reach out to you, Catherine, what's the best way to do that? Well, LinkedIn is a fabulous way. And my email is my name, Catherine at CatherineJohns.com. It's been wonderful talking to you. You're amazing. Well, thank you. It's been a delight talking with you. This was a lot of fun. So can we call that a wrap? I think we can call that a wrap. You have been listening to Thought Leaders Talk Business, where we tap into the minds of business consultants and professionals to gain ideas and strategies to help you gain a competitive advantage. I'm your host, Debbie Fleeman. If you would like to reach me, email me at debbief at creativetechresources.com or pick up the phone and call 847-902-4175.